podcast world. Welcome to another enthralling episode of FNO InsureTech with your hosts, Mr. Lee Boyd in Waco, Texas, and myself, Rob Beller in Sacramento, California. Hi, Rob Beller. How are you? I'm good today, Lee, for a big reason. Why is that? Um, I'm about to spend more time with my son talking to him than I get to talk to him combined in like a month. Well, that's great. He's a, he's a smart guy and a good guy to visit with. <laughs> do you know why I get to do that? Why is that? Tell me. Cause he's going to be on our, he's our guest today. On well, our I podcast. wish you would have, I wish you would have told me that before. So I could have actually planned something. <laughs> Maybe make them, baked him a cake or something. Yeah. Maybe a nice little cookie. Maybe a nice uh, chocolate nice. chip cookie. Well, here's as much notice as you're going to get. Okay. He is our guest. And, but you, you, you might ask Rob, is he an insure tech guy? And the answer is no, he's not. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking that. So then you might ask the next question, which is. Why would it be on our podcast, Rob? Because Alex is a co-founder of PostScript, which is a, uh, a startup company specializing in SMS for the e-commerce industry. And we are, we here at FNO are very, very interested in SMS and what's going on with that. And what are the rules and the regulations and the do's and the don'ts and why, why texting is such a wonderful, exciting frontier. I think that's a great reason to have him on. He's a, extremely knowledgeable person in the world of text messaging and a lot of the insurance uh, technology companies that we talk to have some form of employee engagement related to them so a lot of them are talking about text messaging sms all, all those things so why don't we why don't we take a little bit of time and really learn what the regulations are about and maybe how some of the other uh, verticals are already using it sure i also want to hear from him about what it's like to be a startup Many of our guests are startups, right? Um, and or represent companies that are are or were startups, and so I'm interested to hear about that experience from him and share that with our audience. I'm always interested in the world of entrepreneurship, why somebody takes a leap, uh, and and how they know uh, to go from idea to actual product mm -hmm. uh, or concept. And, and what, what, what do they need to do to actually push themselves forward? Because everyone has an idea. Well, not, some people have ideas, but they never actually act on them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm curious, when do you take that leap? What, mm -hmm. what, what do you need to do that? Well, instead of wondering, yeah, why don't we just jump right in? I think that's a great idea. I mean, we have them in the waiting room over here, right? Well, why don't we uh, open <laughs> the door? They're waiting. Open the door and let's bring them on in. Okay, so without further ado, here is our interview with Alex Beller from PostScript. Hey, everybody. We have a guest that's near and dear to my heart today, none other than my son, Alexander Beller. How you doing, Alex? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you both. It's good to be here. I've been uh, I've been patiently waiting for my invitation. Um, as the resident insurance expert in the family, this feels a little overdue, but but I'll deal with it. Yeah. The sad truth of that is that it's true, and and you're not even <laughs> and you have a father who's in the insurance industry. Sure. Sure. You know, a fun thing about growing up with a father and a brother in insurance is like, I, I can assert your guys' experience as credibility and I can totally pretend like I know what I'm talking about while having absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. So like when someone gets in a car accident and, you know, they, uh, and they're like, oh, I got to. I, I got to like figure out a way to do it privately because, you know, my rates will go up. And, and I just always say, no, you you always file the claim. That's how they get you. Trust me. My dad and brother are in insurance. I know. Okay, careful. I know. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about the extent of my expertise. This is not an episode on insurance secrets. What's it? What's it getting into today? Okay, I'm glad you asked me that question. First of all, why don't you give us a minute on um, what what you, what you're doing now about you, you know, your company and 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 what you guys do? Cool. So uh, I am one of the co-founders of a company called Postscript, as in the PS at the end of a letter. And what Postscript does is it makes marketing software for e-commerce companies. And in layman's terms, if we lose all those buzzwords, what that really means is we're a tech startup that helps anyone who sells things online uh, send text to their customers. So some examples might be um, if you're shopping online and you close the window before checking out, maybe the company will send you a text reminding you to go through and complete your purchase. Or maybe if you buy a pair of shoes online, they'll send you a text saying, hey, your order has shipped. Or maybe they text you on the 4th of July with a GIF uh, of a bunch of fireworks exploding because they're having a big sale and they want to let you know. So similar to how we're used to e-commerce companies interacting with us through email, we build software that lets them do that uh, via text message. And you guys, so our audience understands, you're not working in the insurance vertical at all, correct? T talk about what verticals you, you touch. Sure. So we're really, uh, we're a software company that works with retail and e-commerce businesses. So some examples of that might be companies like Steve Madden, um, or, or pe people that sell products online. We do not touch insurance whatsoever. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on today was because you don't really have any vested interest in um, impressing our audience, so to speak, uh, to the point of purchase. But rather, we wanted to have you on to inform about some of the both on a product level and on an experience level of some of the things that you've been through as a startup and also about this whole world of SMS and some of the nuances um, to do with it. it. SMS, though, it seems very simple. It's really not. Is, isn't that right? It. This is true. Uh, it's pretty funny because we're building a company right now um, on like a very old technology and sort of making it new. Like SMS as a technology has been around since the nineties and we've all been using it to text one another. That's probably become the dominant form of communication today, uh, like person to person, but how like internet and how marketing dynamics work is that ch marketing channels get adopted and conversational channels get adopted by companies after they've already been adopted by people. So that's what's happening now. Even though SMS has existed since the 90s, it's really like now kind of this full-on rage being adopted by by companies as a really effective medium to communicate with end customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what is the feedback from the actual customer? Are they enjoying uh, getting these text messages? Are you all seeing a success rate of something high or low? Yeah. It's really interesting. It's, uh, I often talk, when I talk to people in the industry, we talk about it like what's going on with text right now is kind of like where email was in 1997. So in 1997, we were probably opening every single email we got. And that's happening with text today. People open 99% of the text messages they get. And so that offers like a, a really powerful access into somebody's pocket, really powerful access to their attention, especially when like today with email, I don't know about you guys, I open probably 10% of the emails right. I receive. Small. It's, it's yeah. certainly lower than 50%. It's, it's lower than 50%. And it's, it's similar with like ads on TV. Like I'm going to walk out of the room or mute the advertisements on TV, but text messages, because we're all programmed right now to use it as our personal communication mechanism. Uh, when we get, when people get a text from a brand or, or a company, they have the same sort of engagement level with it. So to answer your question more directly, Lee, what we see is, uh, 
the the actual response metrics in the space, we see um, uh, open rates, meaning people open texts at over 95%. We see click rates, meaning the percent that a a recipient will click a link in a text, uh, anywhere from like 10% to 50%, which is absurd because in email, 1% of people click. So it's 1% wow. versus like 10 to 50. It's a huge range. And then um, response rates are huge too. And this is something that's fundamentally different from email to text messages is that people text back. People text back all the time. So yes, SMS is a great way to annoy customers. People don't like getting an overwhelming amount of text from brands. Who would? It's kind of like the last personal communication space. No one wants to get a bunch mm-hmm. of spam texts. And there's a bunch of like regulation coming around that and they're doing a good job. But as a, just as a mechanism to get a user's attention, it is incredibly effective. At PostScript, we do mostly marketing. So just like with email, you know, it's, it's a, a company is sending out a text to try to get the user to purchase something. But just on that alone, we see very, very high ROI. So meaning that like if someone spends $100 sending text through PostScript, they'll probably generate 2000 So the So it's kind of, um, it's a new frontier, but I mean, it's an old technology with a new frontier. But as, as we know, and I'll ask, I'll ask you this question, even though I kind of know the answer to it, and that is what keeps it from being email? What keeps it from being melted down the way that email has been? Yeah, I think there, well, there's a few things and it's a little nuanced. So it's an old technology and something else we can talk about that you guys know really well is like, it has all the infrastructure problems that old technologies often have. It's something that like, isn't built for how it's being used today. Um, it's kind of like dial up internet as opposed to high speed. But uh, as far as it being blown out, I mean, I do think that's coming. I'm getting texts from more and more and more and more places. Now airlines text me on my boarding pass right. and they text me when my plane is delayed. Right. And you know what? Those are valuable updates. Sure. But it's still just like you're getting texts from more and more and more places that I eventually think it will get blown out as marketing channels tend to do because marketers are aggressive. And I think what will eventually happen is we will see just like how in Gmail now, Google creates auto sorted folders so that it puts all your spam and all your marketing messages into one folder and it puts all your like business updates in another and it puts all your actual personal communications in another. I think we'll eventually see that on SMS too, like a filtered inbox once it does start to get blown out. Cause I, I think that's almost inevitable. But there's, there, there um, but there's more, right? There's, there's a whole legal yes. reason there, there is you're, you're dead on. So there's a thing called the TCPA, uh, which is the telecommunic telephone consumer protection act, something like that. And something that's fundamentally different about SMS than email is this regulation. Uh, there was a regulation put in place. Uh, it also monitors like robocalls, which are a big issue right now. And essentially what it means is that if you text someone, if you send someone an unsolicited marketing message, that they are liable or you are liable for 500 to $1,500 in penalty for each message. And that will like, put someone out of business and it doesn't exist in, uh, in email at all. You can like get away with sending people spam and with sending people emails they haven't signed up for with SMS. There's this whole, uh, legal infrastructure and there's this whole world of full-time SMS plaintiffs because it's so lucrative. So damages for sending spam SMS are so large that that is slowing down like the, the decay of the channel a bit. So, so who's there actually monitoring these email or these text messages? Is there a task force out there who's monitoring this? Yeah, it, it's much more of a cottage industry. It's, it's really interesting. There isn't a legal task force uh, from the government. Instead, it's uh, like 
plaintiffs law firms that have spun up and full-time litigants. So there are people out there who all they do is like buy people's old cell phones and their old cell numbers. And so maybe they'll have 150 cell numbers and they'll just sit around waiting for an unsolicited text to come through. And then they'll file a lawsuit and try to get class action status on it um, because they get automatically certified as class action suits. So there's this whole cottage industry that's policing it on the private side, not on the government side. Wow. So it's really driven more by the lawyers looking to see if they can create a class action lawsuit. So would that go for any anybody or any company who sends me a, a unsolicited text message? So yes, there are some nuances to it. So okay. marketing messages are really what are like prohibited. So people trying to get you to go and buy something or soliciting a service that if you have not explicitly signed up for it, you could very easily send them a demand letter for $500 and you would probably see a check because people are so nervous about, um, about like having a class action suit put against them. However, what are called transactional messages are not regulated in the same way. So here's the perfect example. So, and I want to talk to you guys about this. So I'm a Metro mile customer and okay. Take one second. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you here. Take one second and just let everybody know what, what, what a Metro mile customer means. What do you mean? What's Metro mile? Metro mile is my car insurance company. Uh, and I pay them each month based on how much I drive. I have a little like Metro mile widget plugged into my car and it lets me know, you know, how far I drive each month. So how much I owe them. So I pay them anywhere from like 40 to $70 a month. Um, and it's for me as a 28 year old, it's a great service because I work from home, so I don't drive much. And also uh, it was just like a good user experience. Like they have an app, they have like a slick interface and they do some really cool stuff like, like this in particular. So there's a little dongle plugged into my car with Metro mile that, uh, that tracks how far I drive each month. But also if I ever don't remember where I parked my car, I can pull up the app and it'll show me from that dongle inside of Metro mile. Cool. Um, and another thing that they do, and this is what I want to talk to you guys about is I've started getting texts from Metro mile that I never signed up for. Uh, when I park my car somewhere where there is street sweeping the next day. So, oh, wow. so they're texting me saying, Hey, you parked your car on this street. There's street sweeping there tomorrow at 8 AM, which means you'll get a ticket if you don't move your car before then. And like, it's incredible. I mean, as you can imagine, I love it in LA. People get street sweeping parking tickets all the time. I've probably paid $2,000 in parking tickets over the 10 years I've lived here. Uh, that's like an amazing, amazing customer experience angle, an amazing gift from my car insurance company. I mean, whoever, whoever, like, like I genuinely like my car insurance company now. And so they're using SMS to get that message to me. And that's a great example of like what we're seeing in the space. We, we talk a lot about user engagement on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the, that our industry has struggled with for years and years and years is that in fact I, I rob galbraith um in his episode he's an author and and he talked about how um challenging it's been for the insurance industry to have any kind of engagement because you set it and forget right. it like like if you would never have gotten that text message you wouldn't think any less of metro no, mile it's not an expectation i have on them at all uh-huh uh -huh. But they found a way now. Now, so you must have approved for them or to, to, to send you a text. So I'm not sure if I did, but either way, they're probably fine because that was not a marketing message. That's what's called a transactional message. So they're a big company. I probably agreed at some point, but even if I didn't, that's like, uh, it's like how sometimes you maybe you get a tracking link for a package that UPS sends you via text. Maybe you didn't explicitly sign up for it because it's not a marketing message. It's not regulated in the same way. So it is much easier for companies who want to get into transactional messaging. Even when they see there's a value add, like this Metro mile example, they can do that without the same legal weight. So 
So we have had on a text messaging company who really focuses into the insur- insurance side, and they send out messages mm-hmm. uh, whenever a claim is filed, and it's all transaction-based. So, hey, we saw you, you filed a claim. Uh, is there, you know, well, how can we help you? And they want to engage. Would that be considered a transactional message or would that be more of a marketing message? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, but what's interesting is it sounds like there's probably like the first message is automated. And then there's probably, you're probably going back and forth with a human to help handle your claim. Right. And that's a whole other department of text messaging called peer-to-peer. And okay. P2P messaging is not really regulated. So if a, if I'm using an automated system like MetroMile is to send 100,000 texts in a day, that is regulated. If a person at a company is texting you, that is not regulated. You don't need to opt into that. So, so even if it's like a chat bot, as long as it's a peer-to-peer or uh, bot-to-peer, uh, that wouldn't be. They're, they're really trying to get rid of the, the spam messaging. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm curious from your guys' perspective, like whenever I've had a claim, like if I if I ding my car, I've always been very happy with just like, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in this situation where like the insurance company has just kind of swooped in and just taken care of everything. Do you guys mm-hmm. feel like there is substantial room for improvement in the claim management experience? Like, do you think a customer would be happy to be getting texted or do you think it's already pretty easy? You know, I, I would say there's absolutely room for improvement. What have most of your claims been? Have they been um, auto claims or property claims? Uh, uh, well, my dad can probably attest to this. I've, uh, I, I've, I've had a few small auto claims. <coughs> okay. Maybe, maybe one bigger auto claim in there too. One here or there. Yeah. Well, you know, I think in the in the auto side, they do have it down where uh, direct repair, getting things taken care of uh, for the insured. The, the insurance companies are doing a real good job there. When it comes to property claims, there is a lot of silence. Mm. There's a lot of work still left on the insured's part. Uh, and I think they need that outlet for, or for a real quick um, you know, question and answer or what do I do now? Uh, so I think that there's a real opportunity for something like this to work. Mm. That's interesting. And I could see, I mean, the idea of building a like conversational platform and then figuring out how to plug in and integrate with all the essential systems on like the carrier and the IA side that like the go-to-market on that would probably be very challenging, but I could see it as a really interesting feature for an insurance company to have and to offer that like would completely appeal to my demographic. Like, you don't want to get on the phone. You don't want to like sort through who my agent is. It's just like, if I have an issue, like I can text this number, we go back and forth. Like they take care of me in that way. Um, and regular updates, like you're describing, like, as opposed to just a lot of silence, um, I could see how that would be like a valuable, just customer experience iteration or improvement. As long as it's, some kind of value add like your street sweeping example. Right. Well, and I think, I think that there's some value add there whenever you allow the policyholder that outlet to ask the questions. Uh, I recently went through a claim and I didn't know where to go. Do I call my agent? Do I call my adjuster? Do I call the 1-800 number? Do I call my mortgage company? I, I just didn't do it. Or do I call the contractor? You know, sometimes I'm on my phone and I'm like, Oh, I, I just want to know a status real quick. Uh, it would be nice to have that transactional text where I could say, Hey, what's the status return back? Your status is blank. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, do you want to talk to somebody about your status? Yeah. So I think the option would be really great. And I think that text messaging may be a great platform for that. You know, I, uh, I, I've told this story before I had an experience, uh, when I had a car repaired, um, through a direct repair garage and I, I, t- t- I took it there and, I don't ever remember signing anything or agreeing to anything, but maybe it's a peer to peer thing. I didn't realize that that was one of the rules, kind of the workarounds. Um, but every day while it was in the garage, they sent me getting repaired. 
they sent me a, a text message saying, hey, Mr. Beller, uh, your car today is 38% completed. We're still on target for this completion date. And every day they sent me a, a message saying how what percent complete it was and if we're still on target for the due date. And, and it was great because it was all the information that I needed. Now is something that's obviously not a marketing, uh, text message, correct? That is not a marketing text. Uh, it sounds great. Like proactive notifications. We've become as humans, we've just become so like, uh, we, we want instant gratification and we want constant updates. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great value add use case. Similarly, something we see is some of our, the brands that work with us, they create text message flows so that people get a text every day after they order until it arrives, doing much the same thing, just like updates. Like, hey, today your order is being packaged on the factory floor. Hey, your order uh, got dropped in the mail today. Hey, here's your tracking link. Hey, your order just arrived at your doorstep. Right, right. People, people want those updates. And so in the claim process, that's, that's so sensitive and people are stressed out over communication and regular updates. It seems like a smart thing to me. Lee, you have this experience going on right now with your claim. I, I, could you see how um, a solution like this would be helpful to not just informative, but helpful? It sounds like you're going through a complicated and kind of difficult process with your property. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, my contractor even called me just a little bit ago and there needed to be a supplement on my, on my claim. And so now the, the uh, claims adjuster needs to call me and talk to me. I was thinking, you know, if, if we had already established a text messaging uh, chain of communication, we could just talk on that. Sure. You know, if they, if they were able to actually tap into the text messaging platform, Hey Lee, just want to follow up on this. Uh, I, I need to verify this person is your actual contractor who's doing the work. Yep, he's uh, he is. And then we could be done. But now I'm sitting here waiting uh, for a phone call. And so if three o'clock rolls around and I don't have a phone call, I think, well, do I call them? It, it's a 1-800 number. It's a round robin system. How do I know I'm getting the right person? And then do I have to continually explain myself? It sure would be nice if everything was done uh, on one single uh, line of communication. Totally. And in fact, and in fact, I, I've, I've dealt with my contractor 98% of the time on text messaging, uh, and there's been no issues. We've been able to, to communicate clearly, and we know everything. Uh, the other 2% was when he actually came out to look at my roof. Um, but, you know, I, I like that. But then at the same time, I get a little concerned about uh, text messaging becoming too popular, right? It, it's easy enough when it's at my convenience, but if I start getting bombarded with uh, questions and things, would text messaging fall to the way of the email quicker? Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see. You know, I, uh, I I'm interested too in like, do you guys think that there are ways for that sort of communication style? Would it be useful between adjusters and IAs? Is there a use case there? Or does the communication flow and like through Xactimate or whatever platform, does that already work well? No, I think there's an absolute need for that uh, because it's that instant feedback. Uh, you can update notes in Xact or Symbility and, and somebody can read your notes. Uh, but whenever you need to communicate with somebody, you might need to tap into a group. I, I have a question for you, kind of a fundamental question. I'm sure you guys think about um, texting. <laughs> philosophically we and probably do. and probably way too much but what is it what's the magic of texting why not only i i mean i'm sure the number of people that use texting is very very high the number of people who have smartphones versus yes. the number of people of text probably the uptake is probably in the 90 percent, right mm -hmm. what is it about texting that's so attractive and so effective yeah, we're definitely going to get a little, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to get a little spiritual here. So, <laughs> so, uh, I think what it is, I, I believe that it comes down to like what we are as, as like it, it animals. So to say it frankly, so 
we're all so we're all now like humans in modern society are pretty hooked on like notification updates, right? We like there's a ping in our pocket when we get a new email, we pull out our phone and we look at it. Uh, there's a ping when a text comes in. There's pings when like live chats happen when we're working away on Slack. Um, all of us, I mean, we have, I haven't even mentioned the social networks like Facebook and Instagram. Someone comments, someone posts on LinkedIn, you get a notification. And like right when I log into LinkedIn, I go and I click and I look at my notifications because it's this thing that's calling to you saying, hey, someone, someone interacted with your content or someone is reaching out directly to you. And that just like as humans, it makes us feel good and plays into our psychology. And I think that there's probably like some sort of chemical release in the brain actually when you get a notification. You're probably right. I think that's a pretty big thing. There's a small release. It's similar to like how so many people check their phone right when they wake up in the morning. There's like a chemical release from like looking at the screen and seeing your notifications and browsing through them. You makes you feel good. And I think that the immediacy of SMS is really built upon that. And it's why so many of us engage through text message. It's why, I mean, between us, text is probably our primary conversation right. channel. Yes. It's, the, it's the easiest, most frictionless way to get information to and from someone. And at the same time, it's so easy that you can engage a lot and you can get a lot of that like, uh, that, like human satisfaction feeling from it. So I think there's a bunch of different angles. I, I, I agree. One of the things that strikes me about texting is it's so it, the the messages are are typically essential. What is essential in a conversation, right? Like I'm going to be there at eleven o'clock. Not hi, how you doing? What are you thinking about today? What are you wearing? Sure. All this other, um, um, you know, surrounding information. It's the essential point of what of what you need to know back and forth typically. Right. Sure. I mean, what most, most, most text messages are a sentence or two. They're not paragraphs. In fact, I'm sure, sure we're all fairly struck when we get a, a long text message. It's unusual. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I also, I also think that, um, text messaging allows you to be more blunt uh, that you are able to speak your mind a little bit better uh, because you don't have the face-to-face -face interaction with the other person, yeah. uh, that you're able to say, I'm not happy about this, or I need this fixed, or maybe I am happy, and you just have a hard time of saying it whenever you're actually there. So it, it's almost a way to hide whenever you're you're communicating with another oh, person. Oh, man, I think you're right. I think it's totally a way to hide. And I think yeah. what's what's interesting is that that's like both a little bit sad for society, but it's also really helpful. Like I, uh, not using Postscript, but just through my own phone, I do like a lot of sales and partnerships work at Postscript. And I do a ton of my sales through text messaging. And really what I've realized is that that's kind of how my leads and my targets and my partners want to be interacted with. It's just so easy and simple. You can get a hold of someone's tension for something essential, and then you both move on. You don't have to like wind up and and write an intro on the email. It's just so to the point, but it, it seems to be the way that people want to be communicated with. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, let's turn a corner for a minute and talk about startups. Let's do it. One of the things that um, interests us a lot about your experience and, and why we wanted you on the show was to talk about being a startup and the life of a startup and, 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 and what that's like. And, and we're, we're going to make a, a, a basic assumption here for everybody. And that is whether you're an insure tech startup, which is kind of the point of our podcast mm -hmm. or a startup working in e-commerce and retail, you're still a startup. You're still probably looking for venture capital. You're looking to scale really quickly technology is your fundamental. I mean, I'm sure if we asked you, are you a tech company? You would answer that by saying yes. Right. And when you, when you talk to most insure tech companies and you say, are you an insurance service provider? What, you know, what are you? They'll, they'll all say I'm a tech company. Mm. So let's talk for a minute about being a tech company. Um, you know, I've had kind of a front row seat to, to watch this and it's, it's been a really interesting experience, 
But why don't you share with us for a minute what what's it like leading a startup? You're one you're one of three co-founders and and a leader of this company. What's that been like? And and regardless of the vertical that you're working in, what's it like? Big question. Uh, what is it like? It's extremely interesting. So if you like work and the three of us really like work, it's an incredibly stimulating thing to take a company and breathe it to life over a short period of time. Like as you both know too, having like built up 470, just because, just because it's like, it's interesting to build something from scratch. What I think is maybe a little bit more unique to the, the, language or label of a tech startup is really just about speed. I think sometimes like the phrasing startup or tech startup gets like over labeled because they're doing the same thing as everyone else. You're trying to build a company that's like large and profitable. Right. Right. But the, and sometimes that gets like pushed under the rug in the pursuit of raising money and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But it's really about the speed that I find most interesting and most compelling. So not only trying to move very quickly, but uh, almost on purpose, not getting things perfect. So our whole business and like our approach is predicated on this idea that our assumptions are probably wrong. And the only way we're going to find like exact right fit with our product and the right marketing angle and the right customer base is by moving really, really quickly and making lots of mistakes and learning from them really quickly. So fascinating. it's like much less about brewing up a perfect offering in the kitchen and then doing a big marketing push to take it to market. Instead, everyone in the organization, from salespeople to customer success, to our engineers, to our marketers, everyone's just trying to move quickly and learn based on the live response we get from our customers. It's like all our assumptions up top, many of them were wrong. Now we have a really good product because we've just uh, done like millions of, not millions, we've done tons and tons of like tests and moving quickly and watching how people use the really bad product we put out at first to then make it better and cater to the ways they were using it. So it's a little bit more of like a responsive live thing as opposed to building something with the initial vision in mind. What is your advice to somebody uh, who keeps coming up with business ideas, but never takes the leap uh, to actually yeah. start a business. Um, you know, it, it's hard, right? It's hard. There, there are times that people will, they'll think of all these ideas, but they'll just never go to that next level. What is your, what is your, uh, you know, advice to them? And, and I, I did that for a really long time. Side note. Uh, so I can relate. Um, my advice is, really twofold. I would say one is about partners, finding people who, who you genuinely like and who complement your skill sets and are just as interested in building something as you. That's a great first step because there's all kinds of interesting dynamics around social obligation. Like when you look in the mirror in the morning and you say, I'm going to go for a run today and I'm going to run two miles versus if you wake up in the morning and you look at, you know, your in my case, your roommate, and I say, hey, I'm going to go run two miles today. The odds that I go do that when I've like told someone else are much higher than when I tell myself. So the beauty of finding co-founders, there's like social pressure wrapped up in it. It's interesting. But the beauty of finding co-founders who complement your skills and are interesting, not only are you not just relying on yourself for like excitement and momentum, but there's also going to be social pressure and obligation built up. And that's good because it'll, it can help get you started. The other thing for me was I always built up way too much in my head, how much it would take to launch a business um, versus just trying to get something awful out the door, like uh, really just like shipping it early and quickly. This is something they harp on it in Y Combinator is the idea of like just getting an awful product out the door and try to sell it to someone, try to sell a, an idea to someone. Because if you can get someone to pay for something awful, then you can definitely get many more people to pay for a much better version of that. 
so in that on on that advice, you're 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 saying push to push to market, right? Don't just hold back and wait for the the perfect item. Push and, and make it happen quick. Exactly. Just because maybe your assumptions are wrong, maybe uh, maybe your your ideal customer is off. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong about. Um, maybe you're kind of right, but you miss the like big insight. Like something we saw a lot in our batch was uh, people keeping the same core concept, but realizing a like completely new go-to-market strategy um, or a completely new audience to focus on. Or we would see a lot of companies who they had an interesting product, but it wasn't actually like solving anyone's pain point. So like, even though it was a cool idea, it wasn't like uh, helping a business move forward. And so just moving really quickly and learning from your customers or prospective customers, as opposed to based on your previous knowledge has been like the best guiding light that we've had. Wow. That's great. So, um, insurance, how, how can you see, I mean, you've been around it for years. Your father's worked in the business. We've talked about insurance and claims many times. Can you see how, how the SMS world and the insurance world can, can get married up and, and use each other? I mean, you gave the Metro Mile example, but what, what about beyond that? I think we will continue to see businesses of all kinds leaning into SMS as a customer conversation channel. Um, whether that's for claim management, whether that's for little like perks like Metro Mile has been doing for me, um, I, I think we'll keep seeing it. You know, I guess from your guys' perspective, will all this insure tech that's happening, like, you know, there's, there's Metro Mile and Lemonade, but most of the insure tech seems to really be like tools not, mm-hmm. not new carriers. Correct. Is that trend going to continue? Because I think that would really inform like how integrated or not SMS becomes into the world. We're, we're seeing more and more, um, and what we would call MGAs or insurers come in. We, we have one as a customer at 470. We do their claim work, which is a, a company called Swift which is an online insurer. Um, Hippo is another one, um, an online insurer. And so th- that the, the world of insure tech is, is quite large. It's vast. Yeah, it's really broad. It's very broad, which is one of the reasons why there's so much room. There's not a bunch of people trying to cr- crowd into one little space. I think, I think that's more of an issue for like, uh, for your company and, and where you are is, there's a number of companies trying to crowd into the e-commerce texting space, sure. right? But in the insurance texting space, there's probably lots of different avenues that you could, that one could go down. But um, yeah, I, I we had um, a company named Hi Marley mm-hmm. on. We had uh, one of their leaders on the podcast, and they're very active in u- using. SMS on the claim side um, as a way not only to communicate with the uh, insured and the carrier, but also with the various service providers involved, like Lee was saying, the, the contractor, mm-hmm. the roofer, other people involved are all on a common SMS platform, and which makes communication easier. Sure. And um, so uh, I think there's lots of possibilities there as your father. <laughs> how, uh, how are, how are but, they doing? They're doing very well. Uh, yeah. They're, th- I think that they're, f- that Hi Marley is fairly early. We're about to have another one on somebody called ClaimBot is going to be on our program, I think this week. And uh, so there, there are others. Uh, and I, I don't know how their value propositions are different from one another, but, um, uh, I think I think it's there. I think there's lots of uh, lots of opportunity. Yeah, I think there's a, a opportunity in uh, somebody connecting all of the dots, right? From uh, hi, I am your insurance company, 
uh, let's sell you a policy to let's service the policy to let's renew the policy. I think all of that can be done uh, in a much more uh, structured manner in a SMS platform uh, or an online platform through notifications and texting when needed. Uh, But I think that I think there's a wide world out there for the insurance. A lot of people are still doing the same old, same old. Um, but some people would like the new. So I think there's going to be a market. For I mean, look, you guys play in such a large space. Um, I mean, e-commerce is big and it's growing like crazy. But uh, insurance is also gigantic, which makes it really interesting, despite how noisy it may be. Like, uh, yeah. we th- We think about that a lot, where initially when we went to Y Combinator, there were, there were 200 companies in our class there, which is the most they've ever had. And that's so many and they'd also had the lowest acceptance rate they've ever had which means there were tens of thousands of companies that applied which just means there's wow. so much noise right there's more people starting companies than ever before because there's all these platforms and tooling and it's just e- easier there's more funding than it's ever been before but when markets are as big as like retail or insurances there will be some really big interesting companies built even if there is tons of competition uh, right. That's just kind of, that's the end result. I think a lot about, there's a company ahead of us at Y Combinator called Brex and Brex is just gigantic and they're killing it. I think they're already worth a few billion dollars and they're essentially a credit card company. And like we use Brex as our corporate credit card. And I mean, talk about a crowded space. How many corporate credit cards were, have there been forever? right? No one would have thought that there was space for a new giant to enter, but they had like a unique value proposition and they focused with one niche first. And now they've been expanding ever since. And they had a really interesting go-to-market approach. So uh-huh. there's, it seems like there's just always room for reinvention. And that, and that's, I mean, one of the things that's keeping us in business as a podcast is, um, you know, the we can't see to the bottom of this. Sure, sure. It's so it's it's so deep, and um, uh, that and which is exciting, and it's also confusing because I mean, we we just work on the claims end of of insurance. We don't we don't really have expertise in the entire value chain, or in every part of the insurance process. And like you said, it's 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 a vast world. It's literally. Um, hundreds of billions of dollars mm-hmm. a year. Yeah, and so um, if if you're a startup and you can capture a little piece of it, um, you can do um, exceptional things. Um, right. Since you guys have been looking at this, how has reception towards InsureTech changed in the industry? Like from the like longtime insiders. Did it start off and people were like skeptical and they were like, we'll never be disrupted. And now they're paying attention because some big companies are being built or, or what has that arc been like? Go ahead, Lee. I'll let you start with that one. Yeah, I would say absolutely. We've been watching InsureTech um, in, individually before InsureTech was a word uh, where there was the technology that came out that was going to change everything. And there was the naysayers. There were the people who said, that's a fad. It'll never happen. Um, and sure enough, we're here today to see these giant companies that are coming out and are, are selling uh, policies online. Um, and they're, they're servicing their customers without actual inspections uh, on site. They're inspecting it uh, via phone, via text messaging, via uh, video chats. There's lots of different ways. So uh People are out there just waiting for what's next with open arms. Uh, it used to be, I'm waiting for what's next so we can uh, prove it doesn't work. Now now they're out there with open arms saying, uh, it will come. Let's see how it works and see if it fits within our model uh, because it doesn't fit within everything. Some people used to think, oh, well, here's a new technology. It must fit within my model. Uh, and now people are saying, no, there's a new technology. I need the right technology. So it, it has changed. There's no doubt. And there's about a that. lot of challenge involved for the carriers who you know are going to drive this adoption because they're the primary customers. Although some some insure techs market themselves to service providers like us. Uh, I mean, Andy Graf and Planner come to mind. I don't know if their their um, strategy has changed, but they market to service providers. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much carriers. I think that that's evolving. 
but um you know i hope you guys also like as someone who's trying to like claw our way in service providers are service providers are an incredible avenue for partnerships and for access to the main customer whether that's carriers or or whatever um mm-hmm. and i bet you guys are in a position of more power than you might realize like we see service providers just abuse us for like free trials, uh, <laughs> like all kinds of stuff uh-huh. because they control access uh-huh. to the end consumer. Uh-huh. In our case, it's uh-huh. e-commerce stores. In your case, it's carriers. And like, right. just cause they're established and they, you know, have industry people. And so I bet you guys have a, like a lot more power there than might initially seem like, I bet you guys could get a bunch of free services and stuff. Well, we, we uh, yeah, I mean, we, and we've had, we've been approached by many of them, mm-hmm. you know, some, some because of, uh, you know, because of this, but, but, but for, for other reasons too. Uh, but listen, I also want to be sensitive to the fact that I need you to be out there making a living sure. because, um, if you're not, then, then I have a problem. Sure. Well, I got, so, I, I got yeah. one last question before we wind down though. What have you, yes. what have you two yeah. learned about like the content creation and marketing side from just this podcast. Like I've watched it from when it started and as we're trying to fire up our content engine and like our mark, the marketing side of our business right now, what have uh-huh. you guys learned? We don't have enough time Yeah, to go over that, but there, <laughs> there are some essential lessons. And in fact, we're doing, we're going to do a podcast that we've been working on uh, about the, the three things that the three biggest things that we've learned podcast, on uh, podcast. The, a podcast, podcast on a podcast, podcast on podcast, actually yeah. a podcast about the lessons that we've learned. And, um, and there's many, um, it, but, I'll, but I'll tell you something that's essential. And that is, I think people on our side of the equation don't fully appreciate what's going on on your side of the equation. And I'll say, I'll say that's the, the technology side it's vast and it's exciting. And like you said, it's going really fast. We work in a world that move that, you know, you wake up and you make the donuts and then you go to sleep and you wake up and you make the donuts the next day, but that's not the world you guys are working in. Mm -hmm. And this technology disruption phenomena is going on across all verticals. Sure. Not just a few of them. And, uh, um, and so there's a lot it people in our on our side who work in businesses that are that are that are long established and kind of uh, normalized i don't think fully appreciate what's going on on your side sure but but listen um, go back to work Sounds stop good. goofing off thanks guys this thank you very much for being on Will you come back and, and visit with us again? I'll, I'll come back. I still got some hot takes we didn't get to. Ah. Yeah, I'm ready to okay. fire some shots. How about a preview? Um, I'll save it. Uh, okay. Maybe we'll, do a, maybe we'll do a part two. There you go. Thank you, Alex Beller. Well, Lee, I'm a proud papa. Well, as you should be. He has done a lot uh, with the... Uh, with his work, and I, I look forward to seeing where he is uh, in 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 the near and far future. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a like I said, I have a front row seat to watch this whole thing go on, and uh, you know, we read about it in the press. You read about startups and success, and sometimes you read about failure. And so, I mean, they understand that this can go great or it can flame out, uh, but. Uh, but they're certainly pedaling as fast as they can and trying as hard as they can to to do something meaningful. And so far, they've had uh, a lot of success. Well, and we we quickly ran over it, but we we don't want to you know let it go without being said that they were part of the Y Combinator uh, recent grad graduate class there. Right. Uh, that that is a uh, amazing uh, you know generator company that uh, has the best in the world. And right. Uh, they accept so few of their applicants. And like he said on there, thousands uh, were not accepted. So uh, he's doing something right. And a lot of really smart people uh, really see a lot of value in it. Well, one of the things we didn't talk about today, though, we've asked other people about it. You know, what do you look for in a startup? What What's important to you? 
And every time, every time we hear the same thing, and that is the leadership team. Yeah. Um, the founding team, the people that are running it, that is a, a critical piece. And, and he and his co-founders are not only very technically oriented, but uh, they understand the world that they're, that they're, that they're selling into really, really well. So I think they have a lot of advantages going yeah. on, but, but I wanted to, we wanted to do SMS. We wanted to talk about SMS because we all use it every day. I doubt that there's anybody listening to this podcast who doesn't use text messaging as a, as an important part of their communication, personal communication platform. Yeah. But the question is now, how, how are companies going to use it effectively so that it doesn't become the next email? And uh, that's a big challenge and a, and a big question. It is. And I think that uh, a lot of the companies are really using it more for that transactional base like Alex was talking about. Uh, they're really using it for that customer engagement uh, to be that mm -hmm. extra set of ears uh, or that extra voice that mm -hmm. goes out to the customer. So as long as, mm -hmm. as long as that's the method, I think it'll continue continue to be a great personal line of communication. But the moment it crosses over to that spamming to that right. uh, you know other side, I think that's whenever we'll we'll lose a lot of it. Right, and fortunately, there's some regulation around that that'll help. Um, yeah, and, and both of us were talking offline that we didn't realize one of the things we learned today was is that there's certain parts of text messaging that are not regulated. Yeah, and. Um, but even still, how often do you get a junk text message on your phone? You know, not very often. Very rarely do very I get rarely. anything like that. Very rarely. And normally if I do get a marketing one, it's something I signed up for because I wanted, we have a local grocery store mm -hmm. uh, that I get messaging from. And it's because I wanted it. I wanted the, the daily deal. You opted in, right. I opted in. Mm -hmm. And so I look forward to that text message to help me save a little money on my groceries. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the moment you get a text message from something that you didn't opt in into, you really feel, um, you know, but betrayed, I guess I yeah. would say by the right. company, like you didn't have the right, uh, to market to me in this, this manner. This is my personal line of communication. But some are thinking of great ways like that Metro mile example yeah. of saying, Hey, your car is parked where you get a ticket. <laughs> wow. Great, great idea for customer engagement. Yeah, I mean, especially Metro Mile, who who typically is insuring people in in metro areas where it's busy traffic. What a great way to engage with the customer and to give them a little bit extra bonus for being a, a mm -hmm. insured of yours. Mm -hmm. When we talk about customer engagement, it was, as you know, we frequently do in 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 our podcast. Um, that that one rises to the top. I, I really love that, and and it was also good to hear. Um, uh, some of his experiences as a startup being a startup it's about going fast yeah it's about going fast and listening and to not, your customers yeah you're you're not just waiting you know for the the perfect moment we we've talked a lot about the agile and water flow uh waterfall effects but uh, you can get every, you can be 99% confident in something before you put it out there, but it could be completely wrong. So roll it out, roll it out quick, get something out there and make sure you're still on target. But I also want to hit on one other thing that he talked about, uh, his advice to somebody who has an idea and wants to start a company that is surround yourself with people who like to work. Uh, and that's something that, uh, we have talked a lot about Rob is not everybody has that drive. Yep. Uh, to see a job completed. Not everybody has has it in them to to work after hours or work until the job is done. But if you are starting up a company, if you're looking for a business partner, if you're looking for anybody to work with, make sure that they enjoy working and that they like to see a job uh, completed mm -hmm. uh, and that they're not just phoning it in eight hours a day. Right. And, and uh, because I know from my own experience... Uh, since he's been involved in this, he works every day and yeah. most hours of the day is super involved and it's all consuming. Uh, yeah. I think that's great advice for all of us, not just on a, on a startup level, but just in, in general, if you're going into a project with somebody, if you're, uh, you know, finding somebody to help you out on something, don't just get the person right next to you. Get somebody who likes to work. Right.
Right. Well, listen, we're we're very appreciative to Alex Beller for joining us today from Postscript. And we invite you to look up Postscript. It's postscript.io. And uh, you could learn more about it, more about the product. And I'm sure that he would love for you to reach out to him. I know Alex well enough to know that. And um, that is our show for today. We ask that you support us through the one way that you can. And that is by uh, subscribing to our podcast or reaching out to us here at 470 if we can help you with any of your uh, claim needs. And I would also, one more thing to that, Rob. Yeah. I, I would encourage our guests that if you have any questions uh, about insured tech, uh, or if you have anything uh, you might want to ask us, you can also tweet us. You know, we're on Twitter. We're out there. We have a presence. Feel free to to write us something. And uh, let's see if we can get this conversation going a little bit larger. Let's do that. And so until next time, we sign out by saying... Bye, everybody. Bye.